thank you very much for coming and for choosing uh, us here this evening over Brazil, Switzerland. Um, I, I do thank you very much for that. And I know Gavin in particular is, is gutted to be missing out, but um, thank you for that. Um, but no, it is, uh, it's a great honor to be here this evening and to be sharing this word with you. So thank you for uh, the opportunity to do so. Uh, as you know, we've been working our way through the book of Acts in the evening service and uh, with the theme of seeing the Spirit at work. Today we come to the end of Acts, and Andrew's asked me to uh, preach on Acts 23 to 28 this evening. And thankfully, I did check with him and ask him uh, to make sure he didn't mean the whole thing uh, all at once. Ah. <laughs> So um, what we're going to do is focus on the last chapter, uh, chapter 28. But uh, just before we do that, um, before we f follow Paul's final journey to Rome, um, I'm just going to just briefly uh, give a recap of what happens between uh, chapters 23 and 27. Um, so I found a lovely map. I've always found maps are very helpful when knowing what was going on. So you can see that uh, we'll start over there in Jerusalem. So in chapter 23, we leave Paul in Jerusalem. He's before the council. He's standing trial after being imprisoned. Things were looking bleak, and he's probably starting to think that he's going the same way that Jesus went about 25 or so years previously. But by God's grace, some favorable Roman leaders... Uh, decided to take him from the Jewish tribunal in Jerusalem and uh, take him off to be more fairly trialed elsewhere. So then he is taken to Antipatris and Caesarea before they eventually decide that they're going to take him all the way off to Rome. And so they set sail, moving uh, from Sidon all around Cyprus to Myra and then eventually ending uh, past Salmoni and uh, underneath Crete. I'm thinking at this point Paul is starting to get quite frustrated. What he wants to be doing is he wants to be out there proclaiming the good news, proclaiming what Jesus has told him to do. And instead at the moment he's in chains and he's being taken, well, for him, halfway across the world it must have seemed like. But little does he know that he's actually doing exactly what God wants him to do. This is in some ways his fourth missionary journey. So as they round Crete, the summer is gone and the winter is closing in. So Paul wanted to stay put in Fair Havens, uh, just by there. But the men on the ship, and something interesting I read uh, in my study Bible was that the, the ship would have had about 276 people on board, um, which is a much bigger ship than I initially imagined. But those men decided, no, we're going to move on. We're going to uh, ignore those warnings and just set sail uh, off across the ocean. But no sooner as they'd done so, than a huge wind came down from across Crete and uh, pushed them out to sea. They eventually drifted around, as you can see there, for about two weeks before eventually heading uh, towards Malta and eventually actually intentionally running aground on Malta. And then we have an, a curious incident with a viper where uh, Paul gets bitten on the hand but by God's grace he isn't harmed and he shakes it off. 
After staying there for three months on Malta and healing many sick, they eventually uh, get a boat and uh, make their way up uh, through Syracuse and uh, Regium and Puteoli all their way on to Rome. And they eventually, uh, he's getting somewhere. But then we hear something wonderful, that Paul, this prisoner, uh, presumably still in chains the whole way, being taken thousands of miles to stand trial, is welcomed by the followers of the way at both Appii and the three taverns. Perhaps they're so used to seeing Paul in chains by now, I'm wondering whether they're starting to think they're just the latest fashion accessory. But as representatives of the Roman church, they came out to meet him. I would love to see the look on the centurion's face, uh, the one that was taking Paul uh, all this way, when he's getting close to trial and all of a sudden you've got all these people coming out to welcome him uh, with food and with hospitality. And then we meet up with uh, our reading for today. So we'll we'll move on to that from Acts 28, uh, verses 17 to 31. So this is Paul in Rome. He's finally there. After three days, he called together the local leaders of the Jews. And when they had gathered, he said to them, Brothers, though I had done nothing against our people or the customs of our fathers, yet I was delivered as a prison from Jerusalem into the hands of the Romans. When they had examined me, they wished to set me at liberty, because there was no reason for the death penalty in my case. But because the Jews objected, I was compelled to appeal to Caesar, though I had no charge to bring against my nation. For this reason, therefore, I have asked to see you and speak with you, since it is because of the hope of Israel that I'm wearing this chain. And they said to him, We have received no letters from Judea about you, and none of the brothers coming here has reported or spoken any evil about you. But we desire to hear from you what your views are. For we regard to this sect, we know, uh, with regard to this sect, we know that everywhere it is spoken against. When they had appointed a day for him, They came to him at his lodging in greater numbers. From morning to evening, he expounded them, uh, testifying to the kingdom of God and trying to convince them about Jesus, both from the law of Moses and from the prophets. And some were convinced by what he said, but others disbelieved. And disagreeing among themselves, they departed after Paul had made one statement. The Holy Spirit was right in saying to your fathers through Isaiah the prophet, Go to this people and say, you will indeed hear but never understand, and you will indeed see but never perceive, for this people's heart has grown dull, and with their ears they can barely hear, and their eyes have closed, lest they should see with their eyes and hear with their ears, and understand with their heart, and turn, and I would heal them. Therefore let it be known that you, uh, to you that this salvation of God is being sent to the Gentiles. They will listen. He lived there two whole years at his own expense and welcomed all who came to him, proclaiming the kingdom of God and teaching about the Lord Jesus Christ with all boldness and without hindrance. Amen. And thanks be to God for the reading of our word. Uh, I'm interested to know at this point again about the centurion. Um, What is he thinking at this moment? He's taken Paul all this way. He's basically had a big go at the Jewish leaders and then He's now staying at his own expense. Uh, you know, did he stay with Paul? Did he feel intrigued by this message that, uh, and this Jesus that Paul kept talking about? I'm not sure. So as I said, our topic has been seeing the Spirit at work. 
So the big question for us this evening is how was the Spirit at work in this passage of Acts? Was it just during the good parts, just when Paul was safe? Was it just when he was taken away from the Jewish leaders in Jerusalem who wanted to kill him and instead taken to Rome to stand trial fairly? Was it just when Paul was kept from harm after the viper bite? Well, before we look more closely at how the Spirit was at work here, let's clarify one or two things. And as I say this, I obviously realize that I, this is my first evening service here, so I've missed the complete rest of the series. So I do apologize if I do go over anything that's been done before. One question I wanted to answer was, who is the Spirit? Well, two questions. Who is the Spirit and what does he do? As you may know, the Spirit is another of God's representatives on earth, part of the Trinity, the Father, the Son, and the Spirit. In 2 Corinthians 3.17 that we heard uh, Andrew preach on last week, Paul writes, now the, Spirit, now the Lord is the Spirit, and where the Spirit of the Lord is, there is freedom. So from that first part, the Spirit is God, and God is the Spirit. The Lord is the Spirit. Okay, well, what does he do? Well, if the Spirit is God, then the Spirit's work is God's work. So what is the Spirit's work? Well, let me start by saying that the Spirit at work and in action isn't just about people clapping their hands and speaking in tongues and singing louder than the person next to them. Yes, sometimes some of those things do show uh, some of the Spirit manifesting in us when we lose our inhibitions in favor of praising God who's worthy of being praised. But it would be pretty sad, I think, if the extent of the Spirit's power in us was just allowing us to clap our hands more freely. Amen. And thankfully, he offers us far, far more. So let's perhaps think of the fruits of the Spirit in Galatians, where Paul is essentially saying, if we have the Spirit in us, we will show these things. They are inseparable. Uh, just as some of you here today might be coming with hay fever and might even right now have the symptoms of itchy eyes and a runny nose and a wheezy throat, the things listed here by Paul are like the symptoms of having the Spirit within us. So the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. Against such things there is no law. And those who belong to Christ Jesus have crucified the flesh with its passions and desires. Well, have you got the symptoms of the Spirit? A good question just to ask yourselves every so often, I think. So who is the Spirit? Well, he's part of the Trinity, Father, Son, and Spirit. And what does he do? He allows us to show all of those wonderful things from that list that we can see in, uh, from Paul in Galatians. And as I said, the Spirit's work is God's work. So the working out of the Spirit in these things, it's like the working out of God's will. And we heard from 2 Corinthians just now that where the Spirit of the Lord is, there is freedom. The freedom we're given from sin and death is given to us by the Spirit of the Lord. That is God's will, his work to give us freedom. How incredible is that? In his divine providence, he has set us free. But what do we think of when we think of God's providence or his will or works? I'd imagine our minds might jump straight to things about great uh, moments in our lives, perhaps of 
passing exams, of being cured of illness, or even finding the one, one, one. There's a dangerous culture that's emerged that says that that providence, that God's providence, is just like a, a Christian form of luck, what the world would call fate. It's when you narrowly miss being involved in a car accident. If you happen to bump into your future wife in the queue at Starbucks, or if England somehow win the World Cup, this view would see a class seeing the spirit at work purely as a list of the good things and the happy times that we've had in our lives. Do we imagine that God's will, his works, his providence are just those things that seem good on the outside, just those things that make our lives easier and more enjoyable. By no means, may it never be, the Spirit is at work in all things. The same as we see God's will in all things. We know from Romans 8 that God works all things for good for those who love him and are called according to his purpose. Not just the happy times, and that's so important to remember. How sad would that be, and, and how weak would our God be if it was only those things that seemed happy at the time that he could turn back to work for his good and for your good? How sad would that be if God looked down at you as your wife died, or you found yourself in debt, or you lost your job, and he said, oh, I don't know if I can help there. Seems pretty tough. I mean, there's a guy over there who just got engaged. I mean, he looks pretty happy. I'm sure I can make him do wonderful things for me. I can bring good there. But this is just a bit too hard. Thank God that he's not like that. He is the all-powerful God who created everything. Everything you can see. Everything that is around us. He will use all things for his good for those called according to his purpose. That means that the widower and the man in debt and the unemployed from the previous analogy, if they are in him, then things will work together for good. You might not see it now, but good will come from it. And above all, God will be glorified. I'm sorry to be the guy to do this, but there was a brilliant episode of Scrubs that I rewatched not long ago. Uh, any Scrubs fans in the house tonight? Lovely, thank you. Uh, I was very excited to see it come on Now TV recently when I was enjoying my, my free month of uh, Now TV, courtesy of McDonald's Monopoly. Um, anyway, in this particular episode, <laughs> saved up plenty of stickers, but um, anyway, in this particular episode, Nurse Roberts, who is a Christian nurse, is arguing with Dr. Cox, uh, the archetypal grumpy father figure of the series, about whether bad things happen for a good reason or for any reason whatsoever. Obviously, it doesn't take long for something bad to happen in the hospital. And sure enough, uh, we see a, a young girl comes in of eight years old who's been shot, uh, uh, sorry, stabbed by somebody in a grocery store. And Dr. Cox takes advantage to say, well, there you have it. There's no possible reason that this eight-year-old girl has been stabbed, thinking he's won the argument. And then in the next scene, the girl is in surgery, when the doctors happened to stumble across a tumor, a tumor that they would have never found if it wasn't for things happening the way they did. 
they, of course, remove it and stitch her up and, and all's well for her. I know it may be a bit of a silly example, a made-up example from a TV show, but it does make a good point for us now that God can take anything, any situation, and use it for good and for his glory and thank God that he has the power to do that. So to come back to Paul in this last section of Acts, where was the Spirit at work? Well, I'm going to follow my theme on to say not only was the Spirit at work in the good moments for him, that I mentioned earlier, like when he was taken away from the Jewish leaders who wanted to kill him and given a fair trial, uh, or when the, um, the viper bit his hand, but he was unharmed. But the Spirit was also at work in the storm itself. The Spirit brought the storm up with those terrible winds. He pushed the boat out to sea on that specific path. He made them hungry and thirsty. He made them wreck on Malta. But he also let Paul know that he'd be safe. Even though they were hungry and thirsty, he gave them enough food and drink. He kept Paul and the others safe through that shipwreck. And he was in Paul's response to all of this. Generally speaking, being a prisoner on a boat, caught up in a terrible storm, barely having enough food to eat, spending weeks drifting at sea, and then getting shipwrecked on an unknown island is a pretty bad few weeks for anyone. But God used all of that to help Paul to proclaim the good news of Jesus Christ, to help him show how a follower of the way responds to these things, and ultimately to help to turn people to Christ. All of these things were the will of God and of the Spirit, working out in their lives, giving Paul opportunities, opportunities to carry out his God-given mission of sharing the good news. We're going to sing a song uh, just after this that resonates so much with this idea. It really came straight into my head when, uh, yeah, when I started thinking about this, this idea. And it's a song called uh, It Is Well, written by a man uh, you can see here called Horatio Spafford in 1873. He was an American lawyer and a devout Christian, and he lived in Chicago with his family, uh, who you can see here. In 1871, the great Chicago fire devastates him, killing his two-year-old son and destroying much of his property investment. In 1873, they planned to get away to Europe for some time, but at the last minute, Horatio is delayed due to business and so has to stay behind and sends his wife and his four daughters on ahead of him. Mid-crossing, the ship runs into trouble, hits another ship and sinks quickly, killing all four of his daughters. His wife barely escapes with her life. He hears about the accident, receives a telegram from his wife simply saying, saved, alone. So he gets on a ship and he heads to be with his grieving wife and as he passes over the spot in the ocean where his daughters died, he puts pen to paper and writes, When peace like a river attendeth my way, or sorrows like sea billows roll, whatever my lot, thou hast taught me to say, it is well, it is well with my soul. And that's just it. We would probably ask him, how? How can it be well? But he goes on in the song to write, 
Let this blessed assurance control that God has regarded my helpless estate and Christ has shed his own blood for my soul. Horatio Spafford's reaction is as Paul's was. He sees the suffering and the tragedy. He feels the pain. But then he looks to Christ and he knows that Christ loves him. He's seen it on the cross. And in the song, he has Christ coming back triumphantly, not to judge him, but to save him and to raise his daughters from the dead to be with him. It doesn't get any better than that to see the Spirit at work in someone who has been through great hardship and pain, who is sorrowful, but always rejoicing because he knows the God who has saved him. Paul knew the same thing, no matter what came his way. Being stuck as a prisoner when he wanted to be out proclaiming the gospel. Being caught in a huge storm and being lost at sea. Being shipwrecked. He knew that the Spirit was working in it all. God was working in it all for him. With that in mind, I'd like to think of that, that while the storm was raging and all those people about him were panicking, Maybe Paul might have been that still, small voice of calm. That those who saw him on the boat might have just seen a little glimpse of the Spirit at work through him. And that when it was all over, they asked him about it. I'm sure enough that he was ready to give a reason for the hope that was within him. So what did Paul finally do when he got through the storm? When he finally made it to Rome after all that time? Did he think, well, that was a bit of a wake-up call. I'd better get to spend more time relaxing, spend a bit more time with my family and friends and enjoying the good life. By no means. What Paul did was to more greatly give himself to his calling, to spreading the gospel. He says in his earlier letter to the Roman church that he's desperate to get to Spain, but that his mission is to come to Rome. And that's what he does. He gives his life to that mission, to building the early Roman church. We heard in our reading that once he was near Rome, he called the Jewish leaders out to him, in part to stand trial, but in part as well to try to save souls. So how did he talk to those who needed saving? Well, if we think of how he might do it today, we would imagine perhaps soft words and maybe edging around the subject for a little while and before mentioning it, maybe just being nice and hoping that they got the idea, that famous 11th commandment, thou shall be nice. What he actually said was, the Holy Spirit was right in saying to your father, through Isaiah the prophet, go to this people and say, you will indeed hear but never understand. You will indeed see but never perceive. For this people's heart has grown dull and with their ears they can barely hear and their eyes they have closed, lest they should see with their eyes and hear with their ears and understand with their heart and turn and I would heal them. Therefore let it be known to you that this salvation of God has been sent to the Gentiles. They will listen. Basically he says, Isaiah was right. You've had your chance. And if you're not willing to listen, see or understand that Jesus is Lord, then maybe the Gentiles will. Well, by God's grace, some of us did. So, as we come to the end of this series on seeing the Spirit at work, what can we do about it now? 
where we can be in the Spirit and therefore showing the fruit of the Spirit at all times. That love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness and self-control. Through this, we can be trying to discern the will of God. As Paul writes in Romans 12, do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewal of your mind, that by testing you may discern the will of God, what is good and acceptable and perfect. For in the will of God, we will see the Spirit at work. We can get involved in building God's kingdom here, as Paul did in Rome. And we're so wanting to go on and do it in Spain. We can do this by praying. We can do this by helping events at the church to help us as a church spread the good news. We could do it by getting involved in outreach work with the church, like Rock Canterbury. Or we could do it by giving of our time, our energy, our skills, or even our money. We've heard Andrew talk previously about God's new thing here at CBC. Well, it's happening. It's all around us. Be a part of it. To use the analogy mentioned last week, get in that cable car. Look eagerly to see what is the Spirit doing and to what the freedom of God can bring us. God has saved us from our sin through the blood of Jesus Christ and his Spirit. And where the Spirit of the Lord is, there is freedom. Do you know that you're free today, brothers and sisters? Do you? Do you act like you're free all of the time? I'd imagine not one of us does, but we can try. Perhaps above all, the message I want you to take from here this evening is that God is in control. The book we've been reading about is called The Acts of the Apostles, but perhaps a better name might be The Acts of God, brought to us through the power of the Holy Spirit, played out by the apostles. God is at work in all of it. The Spirit is at work in all of it and in all of our lives. So don't get discouraged and disheartened by failure, sin, illness, death, and any other tragedy that comes your way. God is working all things for good, no matter where your starting point is. Remember that it is well, because as Horatio Spafford wrote, and as we'll sing together shortly, my sin, oh the bliss of this glorious thought, my sin, not in part, but the whole, is nailed to that cross, and I bear it no more. Praise the Lord. Praise the Lord, O oh my soul. The Spirit is at work today here and in our lives, in the good times and the bad. Keep your eyes and ears open to see and hear it. And trust in the one who is in control, who sees you and who loves you. He has given us everything, so let us give it all back to him as we go from here this evening. Amen. Let's pray. Loving God, we thank you so much that we know that you are with us. We know that wherever we are, whatever situation we're in, that you are with us and you are before us. You are setting the path away uh, ahead of us. 
making it straight. Lord, all we need do is follow you. Help us, Lord, as we go from here this evening to trust in you, to trust in your spirit and the work and the wonderful things that can be done through it. We ask that you'd fellowship with us this week and wherever we may be, at work, here at church or at home, Lord, that you would help us to show the fruit of the Spirit. You would help us to know that you are with us always. In your precious Son's name.